Hello, and welcome to episode number 58 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. My name is Rob Attrell, and I'm joined every week by my cousin and most excellent co-host, Mike Attrell. We're also joined by the editor and founder of Vodka and Equations, Nick Maddox, and he is our senior contributor. Every week on this show, we aim to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. They have more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. You can get a free audiobook of your choice, as well as a free 30-day trial, by visiting audibletrial.com unwind. Their library includes programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and magazine and newspaper publishers. So, uh, guys, I'm testing out something different this week. My microphone is no longer inverted. It is just below me. Oh. What do you think of that? I, I don't even know. It's like I'm upside down now. It's like you can't even... Or maybe I'm upside down. Maybe you're upside down. <laughs> <laughs> The problem in past episodes is that uh, apparently, like I've heard with this kind of microphone, it's not actually set up properly until you have it upside down. Like the professionals, they set it up upside down, but then the bar blocks everything I'm trying to see and also the microphone itself. So this is much better. I can actually see now. And I mean, I think I'm going to stick with this for at least things where I have to see the screen behind me or behind it. My question is, do you have to, like, flip the sound signal post-production? No. To get it to sound properly? Okay, that's good. That's no, it's, yeah, it's mono, so it all just comes out as one. That's good. I hope. If it doesn't, <laughs> then I will have to flip that. But so far, <laughs> it seems normal. Uh, so, I'm told, Nick, you've had a lot of coffee today, so hopefully... I have not had a lot of coffee yet. <laughs> I just have a lot of coffee in front of me. Oh, I misunderstood. He spilled spilled a lot of coffee. (laughs) I didn't spill that much. (laughs) Yeah, we're discussing about how the size of... I guess this is espresso cup specifically this refers to. If you spill one, you're not spilling much coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other... I was actually going to say, like, I I, I like using the espresso cups because they're just a handy size. And I've also found that if you're running late in the morning and you really got to go... Like if you have a giant mug of coffee and it's hot, it's like that's just it's not going to go down. It's just stuck there. But with right. espresso cups, you can just shoot the rest, and it's pretty handy. Hmm. Also, Here I was thinking, <laughs> I've had go terrible ahead. luck with like tea and coffee in the past. Have you ever, okay. Rob? I doubt you'll have experienced this, but Mike, have you ever like experienced a slight bump when you have a full cup, and then some. <sighs> fresh beverage spills over and burns your hand. Yeah. And like your instinct is to just drop the whole thing, but you're like, no, <laughs> you gotta hold on or this is really going to hurt. <laughs> but it'll cause like a twitch or something like that in your hand and more spills. And it's just, what, what always happens to me is I'll have my coffee cup sitting in my cup holder in the car and then I'll kind of take, it'll either be a bump or I'll take like kind of a turn and then some like splooshes out and then my first instinct, first instinct is go and like rush to like stabilize my coffee, and then I realize that I'm driving 100 kilometers an hour, and that I should probably be more focused on staying between the the lane. So yeah, it's, it's one of those like wait, <laughs> priorities are definitely in the right yeah. place. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've got uh, we've got quite a bit of news to go on this week. I think I think we have a nice balance between science and technology. 
So, uh, Mike, why don't we start off? This is kind of a bit of both, I guess, but some Google self-driving news. It is. So the results are in, as they say. Uh, I'm not sure what triggered this review or statistic release, uh, but I guess it's come out in the news that Google has disclosed there have been 11 accidents with self-driving cars that -hmm. have been licensed to be on public streets. Yeah. Um, People are shocked and appalled that there would even be any accidents, and they're saying, this is why humans are better. We can't be having these menace of machines on the roads. (laughs) They're going around running people over. Uh, But I guess digging into this data a bit further... There's a couple of things to keep in mind uh, when you when you look at this kind of stat, that all of these 11 accidents occurred under 10 miles per hour, mm-hmm. for one. Uh, the other thing is that I believe all but two of them were the other driver's fault. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is that these types of accidents, when you're comparing it to what you'd expect, so they gave some stats uh, for what's a likely or a, a typical accident rate, like a per mile accident rate. Yeah. Uh, let's see if I, I think I copied in here. Yeah. So the national rate for reported and keyword reported property damage only crashes. So non-injury crashes is about 0.3 per hundred thousand miles mm-hmm. driven. Uh, Google's 11 over 1.7 million miles works out to 0.6 per hundred thousand. So it's a, two times the rate. So all so far it's not looking too good for Google. It's kind of like, well, proof concept, but maybe, maybe not ready for, for the main main stage yet. But then the Google reps are kind of mentioning that these types of accidents that Google is reporting as occurring, they're often not reported at all in an official uh, insurance sense right so they wouldn't be recorded in that 0.3 per 100,000 statistic so it's kind of hard to quantify what you'd expect um so you know it's i guess it's a stat it's good to see they've logged 1.7 million miles but at the same time we're trying to reconcile uh or accept that these cars aren't perfect but i think it's kind of the best you can expect so i don't know what you guys think as far as what your expectations were going into this project and what you'd expect the rate to be. Well, um, I've read another article on this and I, I can't remember whether this is official or not, but I remember the article mentioning that one of the accidents, like part of what this is, is they're doing this as an experiment and they're using that to improve the algorithm. So one of the accidents was that the Google car was waiting at a stoplight, received a green light, and started to go. But there was someone that was trying to, like, you know, careen through making a left turn at, you know, the last possible second and then just smacked into the Google car. And they were saying, you know, a problem with this isn't so much that the Google car is terrible at driving. It's that other people around the Google car are terrible at following the rules. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like that's one where, you know, that person wasn't supposed to go according to an actual driving algorithm. If everyone was following the rules, that accident shouldn't or wouldn't have happened. But 
you know, that's apparently now they've integrated into the algorithm that when you receive a green signal, you wait for one or two seconds to make sure that nobody else is going to move. And then mm-hmm. you proceed through the intersection. So, I mean, gradually you pare down at these random little things or these strange little instances, which could cause a problem and you get a better driver for it. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think it's worth pointing out at this time as well that 11 seems like a lot, but I have, I just opened the statistics from, this is Transport Canada, because that's the first result that came up. But in 2012, which is the last year data has been collected, there were 122,140 personal injury collisions in Canada. There were 1,800 fatal incidents and 120,000 where there were personal injury. This doesn't even include ones where there were no injuries. But like, what's the what's the rate of accidents? Yeah, you need them for a hundredth. I understand that, but uh, and uh, if you understand it, then why are we going along this line of inquiry, Rob? Well, I don't. I don't see the. There's no incident rate. There's just this is looking at uh, at injuries specifically. So. Ah, that's still okay. So per billion vehicle kilometers, which is a, a totally not the same way of measuring it. It's a thousand magnitude of a thousand more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it's kilometers, not miles. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not it's not the same at all. But for all of Canada, four hundred and eighty injuries per billion vehicle kilometers. Um, it's not anywhere near as many like they're talking about all of these are slow things all of these the google car was not the thing that was at fault like yeah. the the google algorithms are on the side of caution every time they're not ever going to get frustrated they're not going to think that they're late they're not going to rush so the fact that i mean so on one hand i would think the Google car is not going to make a mistake because the algorithms err hugely on the side of caution. But it also means that when they say that the Google car was never at fault, if they get rear-ended because they're being super cautious, is that the Google car's fault because it's being way too cautious? Or is it the, like, do, because humans are never going to be as, as cautious as this. It might cause more car like more car accidents because the google car is getting rear-ended because it's doing too much to be cautious yeah can you imagine sorry okay sorry i just wanted to kind of you mentioned about following the rules and that kind of thing and if if i've learned one thing in my driving experience is that you can't rely on people to follow the rules because if you're the one sticking to the rules you're going to get into an accident because four-way stops are like a perfect example of that if everyone If you go to four-way stop and you know it's your turn and you just go, then you're going to get into an accident because some idiot's going to just go <laughs> and it's like, it wasn't your turn, but if you're not paying attention to what other people are doing, then you're going to get into an accident if you're relying on the rules to govern to govern the roads. Yep. And I know like driving in the winter too, talking about that one to two second delay, you need to wait those two seconds because if it's red, there's still going to be cars that can't stop on that icy road and they're just going to have to plow through the red light. So it's, it's part of that reconciliation of following the rules, but also taking into account your environment and what other cars around you are doing. Yeah. Um, 
I was going to say, can you imagine a Microsoft self-driving car and <laughs> like you're, you're getting into traffic and you're like cursing loudly and Clippy pops up. It's like, <laughs> it looks like you're late. Would you like me to start driving like a jerk to try and get you there on time? Like, <laughs> or yes, Clippy, thank you. Or if you're driving down the QE2 and all of a sudden Windows Update pops up and then <laughs> this car will shut down in 10, 9, <laughs> Eight. No! Escape! 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 <laughs> that has never happened to a Windows computer. <laughs> that it happens say, in mine quite frequently. It says Windows will be restarting. In three days. What? It gives you like a three-day buffer. I think yeah, it depends just, on your you, sysadmin. Then you ignore it or snooze it, and you snooze, 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 and it's like, too late. <laughs> You've waited long enough. I, I think you should update your Windows, because I feel like we're <laughs> we're beyond that now. <laughs> There are some times when it'll update when it's not being used, but I don't think it ever tries to update. It never forces an update if you're using it. When it thinks it's not being used. Um, yep, that's that's fair, but... <laughs> I, got a, I got a question for Mike here. Yeah. And actually, maybe Rob. Have you noticed that a lot of private four-way stops have, you know, like multiple lanes approaching that four-way stop? Yeah. Like in, kind of. Not so much like, on public roads, because I rarely see it on public roads, but like in parking lots and things like that. Actually, I can't say that I've seen that before. I've definitely seen that before. Which? The two lanes coming in on a four-way stop. Yeah, but like in a public or private road? Either one? I don't know. I see them a lot in like parking lots, and it's mm-hmm. just utter chaos. Like, yeah, I can imagine. Actually, no, we have a four-way stop on a public road. Just right by my house. With multiple lanes approaching yeah. that stop? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. I think it's the weirdest thing. Yeah, that'd be kind of hard to figure out what order to do things. Cause... An eight-way stop. Yeah. Well, yeah, because normally, like, if you and the person across from you are both capable of going at the same time, you're supposed to go, otherwise you're impeding traffic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like... Right. I don't know. That's yeah. how it was explained to me anyway. Yep. But then, you know, if you're just, if you've got two people there, you've got two completely different set of, you know, or two completely different objectives. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. So I'll just use roundabouts. I agree. They're, they are proven faster by Mythbusters. Yeah. Kaya has given me a thumbs up. <laughs> On the, the roundabouts? roundabouts? Yeah. Yeah. She she agrees. That's good. Fair enough. All right. She, uh, she says she uses them all or used them all the time in France. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They have some pretty big ones there too in Europe. Yeah. Like it, giant multi lane ones. They yeah. have lots of them in South Calgary. Lots of roundabouts. Yeah. There are a lot of South Southwestern Ontario too. It's good. Hmm. So, Nick, you have a story here about beer and I. You I gave do. me the choice. You gave me the choice if you want I asked if you wanted to talk about cancer or beer first. <laughs> both being very interesting stories. And you said, "Rob, you know that's a tough choice for me." So I gave you we'll start with the beer story. What do you got for us? I just want to yeah, we we were given the chance to talk about cancer or beer first. And beer one. Of course. <laughs> uh so there is a new device called physic 
which claims to make your cheap beer taste like an expensive draft pour. Now, that being said, I don't really understand the title because you can absolutely have cheap beer come from draft, and it does (laughs) taste a little better when it's draft, but yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad glad I didn't have to say it. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, there's actually uh, chemistry at work, as far as I've read, where when you give something a proper pour with the proper amount of head at the top there's chemical reactions that occur and things in the beer get oxygenated to give you different more interesting flavors out of it and i mean i even remember from undergrad days if you have a canadian from a bottle and a canadian from draft there's a lot more subtleties that come through if you have it in the draft But so apparently, this little gadget, uh, it uses like a a sound wave generator. There's an oscillating sound pressure wave generator. So I'm assuming that it's ultrasonic or something like that. But it makes for very, very small bubbles so that you get a good stable head out of it but without actually introducing any other gases into the mix, it's just using the gas in your beer. Hmm. So is it similar to like wine aeration, but it sounds like it's not introducing air into it. It's uh, emphasizing the existing ish. I'm, hmm. I'm not sure. Like it, it would aerate it at least slightly because it comes out of a spout. Yeah. yeah. You know what I think is the best part about this? What's that? It fits in a backpack. <laughs> as they as they say. That's beautiful. So th- this thing is currently running a funding campaign on Indiegogo. And it has it apparently I don't know how long is left on the campaign, but apparently it's past its goal. So this thing is happening for real. This is we talk sometimes about things that are well into the future. This is uh, about three weeks away from the future. Like this is this is coming, and although it's still, I still I'm hesitant to say that because it got funded, it's definitely happening. Um, because I have backed exactly one Kickstarter project, and I still don't have it three years later, and it's not it's not ever coming. So there's um, a, a saying called "once bitten, twice shy." Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Okay. I would say that this is probably coming presumably because they doubled their funding goal. I feel like this is really happening. It seems pretty official, but I'm always hesitant as to actually like wanting to confirm that something's coming when it comes from a um, crowdfunding campaign. But this is more, it's certainly more possible or probable than some of the things we've talked about here that, that are right on the edge of science. This seems like it's already, they've already got a prototype that works and is exactly what they're going to make. So I'm looking forward to this. I just want to, I want to read a, the part or a little passage from the last of the article. Yeah. He says, you know, he's had a few 
At this point, I had a good buzz on, so I asked him if he really thought adding a nice head of foam to any beer was serious science. Quote, what we've discovered is reducing the bubble size to sub-30 microns gives you the best mouthfeel, he intoned. There's a part of your body called the trigeminal nerve, end quote. I waved him off. In my current state, this explanation is going way over my head. And anyway, I didn't need to understand that beer tasted way better when poured from his invention. (laughs) That's fair. That screenshot of the video makes it look like there's a lot of head. I don't know if... The head depends on the pour. That's true. Yeah. And that's a terrible pour, like, as I see it right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it looks like it's shooting out of that nozzle. Shooting straight into the middle of the cup. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine there would have to be some kind of setting to allow you to adjust the amount of of foaming you want. I'd I'd hope. I don't know. But, uh, so if if you are interested, there's a couple weeks... Uh, left on the campaign. Apparently, you can pre-order it for one hundred nineteen dollars, and it runs on double uh, A batteries. Yeah, I wonder if you can actually <laughs> plug it in because it seems like it should just be a permanent appliance. It does seem like that, but I guess it doesn't need much power to run. So it's almost like maybe they'll have an AC version at some point if this if it's successful. See, when you when you put it in your backpack to take to your party, you can't rely on there being an outlet free. That's so. true. You know, you bring that your is six true. Pack. I'm, I'm sure we've all been to a bush party or two. <laughs> <laughs> Can't just rely on a plug-in. Uh, it's true. It's they all laugh, camping. but don't admit to anything. Yeah. I've certainly never been to anything I would call a bush party. <laughs> I can say that with conviction. <laughs> you just didn't know it, Rob. Just didn't know it. I guess that's possible, but it doesn't seem likely. All right, the next story I have here is about windows 10 i'm starting to get really excited for windows 10 since we first heard about it they've been saying summer 2015 and that's almost upon us uh and we talked i believe we talked about piracy of windows 10 and how they would be giving windows 10 upgrades even to pirates yeah so i i have i know i've used a pirated version of windows at one point but it was like someone had the disc and i needed to to use a windows disc in order <laughs> mm-hmm. to get I something I, i've honestly i, I have see actually, where you're going with this rob i've never actually it was a friend's i was holding it for a friend <laughs> no no i'm saying I'm, i've never no robert used, you wouldn't be admitting an to anything untoward no. would you <laughs> this was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Why I'm not do you even be saying to, that, Robert? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even trying to backtrack. I'm like this happened, but uh, it was. I'm I was certain it, it did, Robert. You need a physical disc in order to, or you did. Now you don't. Now you can install with. They have download files online. But at the time, it was probably almost ten years ago. Now you needed a disc to actually start it, and so that's what I I used. I used a disc, and then I upgraded from that pirated version to an official version. Um, so, so you atoned for your sin. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, oh, but, but once recently, the, pirate, the pirating life gets into your blood, Robbie. <laughs> you can take the man out of the pirate, but you can't take the pirate out of the man. <laughs> I can't quoting, decide whether to call you Robbie or Robert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 
I'm just gonna. I, I'm not gonna do the pirate voice. I'm above this for this week, but I'll, I'm happy to let you guys do it. <laughs> so Microsoft originally used language that made it sound like pirates of Windows earlier Windows software were gonna get free upgrades to Windows 10, and we're just basically gonna have genuine licenses. Um, what they've said now is Microsoft have kind of clarified their position a bit because it was kind of ambiguous. People weren't really sure, but it sounded like they were going to get to keep it or get to keep it for free. But so what's going to happen is you're going to get a version of Windows 10. You're going to be able to upgrade from a pirated version to Windows 10, but it will it will not be a genuine version. It will pop up every so often saying upgrade. And there might be, you might lose out on some features, some of the advanced features, Uh so what they want to do is keep those people as Windows customers, but eventually the goal is to get them to upgrade. And they're gonna, they said they're gonna make a tr- have attractive upgrade offers. So I don't know uh, because right now, if you have Windows eight or seven, they've been saying you can upgrade for free. There's not gonna be any upgrade charge for the first year, and it'll probably be some nominal charge. I think to upgrade to Windows eight point one. I paid 40 bucks because it was a, an introductory offer, which is totally reasonable for software, even though we're used to getting it free these days. But uh, I'm, I'm excited for the fact that Windows is acknowledging that there are people who pirate their software, but they're also giving them an easy way to genuinely upgrade it. They're not, so they're not saying no. what you're there, Robert, yeah. <laughs> is that they're treating Windows like a bit of a freemium. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's what premium is, but I'll give you that one. <laughs> How much do you want to bet that this whole this whole initial thing of like, oh yeah, pirates will totally get our upgrade for free? They were just trying to get the pirates to go to them and say, "Hey, I'm pirating your stuff. Is it true I get a free upgrade?" And they're like, "Oh, uh, we'll get back to you. Can you just give us your address uh, and your <laughs> your computer serial number that you have it installed on?" And then they just bust down their door and hand them a, a fine. Oh, Mike, I'm not sure I'd be putting any doubloons on that bet. <laughs> I like that they're going to get a fine. <laughs> well, like, I don't know. Yes, well, it's okay. a fine version of Windows they'll be getting. <laughs> they No, like, we have got emails or calls from, like, an, a Microsoft audit task force yeah. that calls, like, enterprise entities to say mm-hmm. we're going to audit your system to make sure there's no pirated versions of windows on it here that that seems so weird you're an, they're enterprise customers they're they're the ones trying to make sure they they're don't not, have any they're not customers if they're pirating their software no but you're saying they're windows enterprise customers otherwise how would they know that just seems so strange like it's an official channel i'm not sure how that works you're saying that these people, like, you'd have to have an existing enterprise relationship with Microsoft right. in order to have a, a phone conversation between the task force and yourself. If right. you were, if you had some genuine Windows Enterprise licenses, why would you pirate some other ones? It just seems so strange. I don't know. I would imagine they'd have volume discounts. It would be worth it. But I guess if you're trying to make money and and that's the way you're making ends meet, then uh, that's how you're. You'd be do surprised it. what you can run into on the high seas, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, have you guys ever seen any of the pirate episodes of Mythbusters? No. Uh, they do pirating myths every once in a while, and Adam Savage loves doing the pirate voice. Like, he loves it so much. 
And Jamie is just so angry every time he does it. He's like, this is so stupid. And this is how I feel about you now, Nick. Exactly the same. Man, this is dumb. <laughs> but I'm glad you're having fun with it. <laughs> is there anything more to say on, uh, on Windows 10? Nick, Nick, would you ever consider getting Windows 10 with it being free and all? After all, we've talked about it's it. It's free for the first year. It's free so to that- upgrade. The upgrade it's not is a bad free idea, for the first but year. I'd be worried it'd interfere with my Ubuntu partition. <laughs> Nick, <laughs> you're distracting me now with your pirate speak such that I'm not even paying attention to what you're saying in pirate. <laughs> did, did you say yes? <laughs> He'd be worried it'd interfere with his Ubuntu. Oh, but okay, thank you, so, Mike. I feel like it would be fine because you have Windows on your other partition, right? Yeah, but you'd be surprised at the things that can cause problems. Okay, Ubuntu is very fragile. That's that's what well, I'm. Well, I've here. heard like people upgraded from seven to eight, and it interfered with uh, bootloader Grub. Oh, okay, it, yeah, that makes sense. All of a sudden, wiped Grub off the system, and so you had to make an Ubuntu live USB on some other machine and then come back to yours and reinstall grub, which is why if you're ever considering using Ubuntu for the love of God, have another machine in the house (laughs) for when it goes wrong. Well, if you're freshly installing it, usually you can get it stable after it's installed, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, with Ubuntu, there's no piracy whatsoever. That's true. All these Although enterprise I'm, customers should just be like, listen, stop auditing and bothering me, or we're just going to switch operating systems. And they're going to be like, uh-huh, and retrain. <laughs> if you're a pirate, you're giving as much money to them after as you were before, but, you know. Nah. Yeah, that's true. All right, uh, I have another... Uh, topic here that i wanted to it sort of it sort of goes along with this i'm going to keep them together does it involve pirates it does not involve pirates in any way (laughs) oh dear (laughs) uh this one is about google chrome so it was i guess an op-ed in uh from the nextweb.com which is a tech site that they they do a lot of pretty good work over there do they do they specialize in hackery they they don't i don't think okay well i mean the title would suggest that they might they they might so uh the the story is is called why i'm breaking up with google google chrome and this guy basically tells the story i'm assuming it's a guy i didn't actually check <laughs> um details why uh yeah it is it's owen williams uh so why he is basically stopping using google chrome and it's because it's for him it's very slow and lags a bit and runs out of memory he he uses apparently a lot of memory with it um and so first i wanted to ask do you guys feel the same way like chrome is really hard on your system uses a lot of memory use a lot of battery do you do you find that mike when, yes do you uh yeah you do oh god like on windows 8 on this machine like i'd have my workflow in quotation marks 
for reading the internet is usually running through Reddit and then opening a bunch of new tabs and then going through the tabs sequentially and closing them as I'm finished. Mm-hmm. Um, but you open 20 tabs and all of a sudden you're at like 80% of your, what, uh, what does this machine have? It has two or four gigs of RAM. No, it has eight gigs of RAM, I think. I think it does have eight from what you told me. Over half of my eight gigs of RAM, I'm like, what is this madness? (laughs) How is this taking eight gigabytes of RAM? Gigabytes. And yeah, it's just silly. Like, do we, I don't know where that comic is. Is, does that have something to do with how, you know how with phones, when you have whatever apps open, the phone doesn't actually keep them active. Like they'll keep them accessible, but they don't actually keep them active using up the RAM right. to save the RAM for other tasks that you're actually working on. Is it something that with Chrome, it actually keeps all the tabs active without, so that they're actually all using RAM all at the same time. Whereas other programs, they don't that the, the tabs you have open, they're actually just dormant and just kind of placeholders. There, there are extensions to do that. I don't, so I have I'm I'm sort of auditing my Google Google Chrome right now. <laughs> and it seems totally totally reasonable. I I have to say that upon reading this, my reaction is a this guy has too many extensions open. Like Google Chrome has never been anything but fast to me unless I stop worrying about my setup and uh, like I just start installing extensions willy nilly and like never think about how much resource, how many or how much resource they're using. I keep a pretty lean extension setup and like it, it's often the web pages that are using a lot of Ram. The, the, I, I remember back in the early days, sometimes it would sort of run away with Ram usage and just balloon out of control. But I feel like a lot of those bugs have been, <laughs> killed now and if you're using a lot of if you have first of all if you have like 20 tabs open i don't know what you expect uh but i have eight gigs of ram but if you're using like i expect 20 tabs to be acceptable but it depends what the tabs are like if if there's a task manager specifically for google google chrome i'm aware shift escape i think (laughs) you can see what what is taking up a lot and you can close either those extensions or tabs that are using a lot if you're not using them. And if you are, it's the tab that's using the, the RAM. Like sometimes I'll, uh, I use TweetDeck on my desktop for Twitter because it gives you a bunch of columns and it, it updates them all in real time. I know that that uses a ton of RAM. And so if I don't need that running at the moment, I close it or I refresh it and it dumps that RAM cache and, and gives me a new yeah. tab. Is it all just RAM or is it also the processing speed and the number of cores you have? It could be, but like my MacBook Air is fine. I I just feel like this is an issue where this person has to go and actually look at the stats before saying this is Chrome's problem. Listen, Rob. What? It's so much easier to blame Chrome than yourself. Okay, but that doesn't mean it's right. (laughs) And that's the problem with op-eds, Rob. Yeah. 
there, so there's a guy, there was a, when all these Apple Watch reviews started coming out, people, like technology people were saying, man, I get a lot of notifications on my watch and I hate that. And then everyone pretty much went around them, started saying, well, you know, you can turn every notification off, right? You can, like, <laughs> you are a technology person. You, you write about this for a living. You should at least experiment with it before dismissing it completely. I feel like this is the same thing. If I Rob, have a tab, sorry, if, I, if I may. Yeah. Yesterday, I read an op-ed myself. It was about why Mike Babcock is not necessarily going to be a good coach for the Leafs because Randy Carlyle had a similar record, and he was terrible with the Leafs. (laughs) And everyone vilifies Randy Carlyle because he gained some weight and lost his hair. And that's clearly... (laughs) the reason that Leafs nation is disenchanted with Randy Carlisle. Mm-hmm. All the only qualifications you need to write an op-ed is that someone is paying you to write it. Right. But th- this guy is a real, like he's a, a technology guy. And Cathal Kelly allegedly follows sports, but <laughs> yet that's the conclusion he drew. I, I want to confirm before I actually, uh, say this but yeah so i believe owen williams is one of the founders of twitter unless it's a different owen williams um or i'm thinking of someone else perhaps i'll admit when you first said that i got it confused briefly with owen wilson and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) why is he writing a piece on this maybe he's just a developer but i feel like there's definitely he's definitely like he's definitely a guy who should know this uh, he should be able to actually figure out what's causing the problem and fix it rather than just being like, oh, no, it's it's Chrome. Rob, you also have to realize that these things are written to get clicks. And when you write about how laggy Chrome is, and as as divisive as Chrome versus whatever other browser, and that's going to be the main intent of writing it, not accurate scientific investigation. I guess, but I I don't like that. I don't like that whatsoever. That's why journals have peer review. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, so basically, f- my thought on this is don't break up with Google Chrome. Maybe assess your Chrome situation. If you go into your Google Chrome and it's really slow, and then you quit Chrome and open an incognito session and it runs fine, you are the problem. It has nothing to do with Chrome. You are using too many memory-heavy extensions or your computer is getting very old because Chrome runs in incognito mode. Chrome runs incredibly quickly. If you don't have your extensions yeah. out on incognito. Yeah. Right. Well, that, You that's, could still be the problem is what I'm saying. It, if you were a developer, like it takes some some flags and some more advanced setup to get your extensions running in incognito mode. You have to run a specific switch when you start it up. So it would take advanced knowledge to be able to even get to a point where you're running extensions in incognito. That's what I'm saying. Like it, okay, yeah. You'd have to know what you're doing more than that to be able to do that. And then you'd know to turn it off. But yeah, Google Chrome, I think is fine. And the problem, I guess if, if he's just going for clicks and that's it, and has no journalistic integrity whatsoever, then uh, I my my complaining about it isn't going to do anything. 
but I don't think Chrome is the problem. I think every browser can do this if they allow extensions. If you have a problem with extensions, don't install them. If you have a problem with a web service that uses a lot of RAM, because every website does now, like even Facebook, when you get a new... Oh, Facebook uses a ton. When you get a new... When a new post comes in, it automatically pulls it in. Like that just builds and builds and builds RAM. You're not... It's not dumping it every so often. It's not... uh Unless you refresh the tab, it's going to just keep all the stuff that's going on in memory. Yeah. Anyways, don't break up with Google Chrome. Give another chance. That's that's what I'm here to say. All we are saying is give Chrome a chance. <laughs> all right, Nick. You ready to talk about cancer? Uh, and the research they're on? The research from, I guess, Waterloo, it sounds like they're on. Yeah. Yeah. University of Waterloo. So, Robbie, Uh-oh. if you envision the human body as an ocean, you've got your regular traffic. And that's the normal cells, you know, the merchant marine. And then you've got the pirates. And the pirates are much like cancer. The pirates approach a normal cell. They jump on, and then that boat is also a pirate. Do you see where I'm going with this, Robbie? I do. (laughs) So what you need is someone to take out the pirates and at the same time protect the merchant marine. Yep. That's a good analogy. So, (laughs) the uh, Faculty of Science (laughs) has used Femta Medicine. They're using femtosecond pulse lasers to view uh, the FMD, whatever that might be. FMD. What? Ah, femtomedicine. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They're saying the femtomedicine they have will protect the normal cells, but at the same time, destroy the cancerous cells. Yeah. It's yep. all very exciting. So basically, they're saying that this is this has been the goal of cancer research for a long time, and they're saying well, that they've yeah, been able absolutely. to to do it with with this. I guess it's medicine and laser pulses, or is it just? because uh, it's saying that see, yeah. See, I thought that they were watching it with the femtosecond pulse laser because you basically need that to watch a chemical reaction. Yeah, but they have. They were using cisplatin right. and another non-platinum yet halogenated met- or, uh, complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should really have read through this more. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, okay. So by understanding more about the fundamental mechanisms of the diseases, Professor Liu pre-selected molecules most likely to be effective as anti-cancer agents. Yep. So, okay, yeah. I think it's just using the laser to watch things happen. Yeah, it says the laser takes a series of rapid snapshots of molecules. Yeah, which, which basically you need because otherwise, like chemical reactions happen so quickly that you just have no hope of understanding what's going on. Right. Um, now, are these are these optical images or are they signals that you monitor the reaction with? Uh, are they literally I, images. I assume it would be. Ooh, that's a good question. I want to say signal based because 
if we're talking cisplatin, I think the size of cisplatin is going to be appreciably lower than a wavelength of even like ultraviolet light. I would think so, yeah. And then you have no hope of being able to image it with yeah. optical. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an optical laser. I just assume it is. So it's probably signal-based. You're right. Um, yeah, like they've also found, I think capsaicin does something similar. Like it will selectively attack cancer cells in a Petri dish. But Like the hot sauce thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think um, I heard that but, too. But like... I don't know if you remember this, Rob, but in second year biochem with Dr. Mezzel, like he was saying, oh, if you want to know how to cure cancer cells, like it's easy. All you, if you got like a bunch of cancer cells on this table, I'll kill them. Like you just bathe them in sodium hydroxide. That'll destroy them. Yeah. But it'll destroy all the healthy tissues around it too. So. The real challenge of cancer research is selective, selectively attacking the cancer cells while leaving the normal ones like unattacked or even they're saying this way they can protect the healthy cells while destroying the cancerous ones. Right. I'm glad you have an S filter as I listen to myself say that. <laughs> well, I'm lucky I don't have to repeat what you're saying. So, um, it, no, it's it's really true because it's very easy to kill. We can kill any living cells very easily, but we don't want to. We want to selectively kill the cancer ones. So you have to find you have to find traits that are unique to cancer cells that normal cells don't have, and target that specific thing. and And cisplatin is yeah, one of the things that does that. It's the difference between a sniper rifle and like grape shot and a cannon. Yeah. Did we mention how this new? molecule that was discovered doesn't include platinum that apparently the platinum based or the platinum containing molecules has side effects such as neurotoxicity kidney damage hearing loss nausea and vomiting yeah yeah yeah. sounds like standard chemotherapy yeah yeah reactions yeah it's i believe that's based on cisplatin okay but the the one that they're using doesn't include platinum so it's a lot more preferred mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but i mean that that's great like that uh using a femtosecond pulse laser to actually watch that ha- happen it's, it's good stuff yeah for sure and and this will hopefully make it i i imagine as we get better and better at imaging individual molecules and atoms we'll be able to figure out a lot more a lot more accurately what is actually happening in these molecular processes. And it'll give even more insight into how we can specifically target bad cells and specifically keep normal cells alive. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that day when I, I, and people have said like, you can't cure cancer at least not in one step, but we can keep, getting better and better at curing types of cancer and finding treatments that will work on on more than one or work broadly against cancerous cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Mike, I, I believe this was you. I didn't actually check. Yeah. You have a story here on hoverboards? Or hoverboard-like 
apparatus, perhaps? Yeah. I, I don't know if this is even new, but I thought it was cool and I guess it's semi fluff PC, but that's fine. It's uh <laughs> it's a, it's more of it's closer to being a skateboard. It's a cross between us if a skateboard and a Segway had a love child, this is what it would be. <laughs> okay. Okay. It, it <laughs> so it's, it's basically yep, a skateboard. That's, that's an accurate description. Yeah. It's a skateboard with a single, like, all-terrain type wheel in the middle that uses gyroscopic auto-balancing to... And you kind of accelerate by leaning forward and slow down by leaning backward and, and all that kind of stuff. So... It's, I don't know, it kind of cool. The promo video is, it's very, it tries to sell it to the skateboarders and surfers of the world, but I don't know, I think I'd have fun cruising around on it a little bit. Um, and I like the aspect of it being self-balancing. I think that's kind of a, a key thing. And I, I guess it got me thinking, you know, you don't, you don't see many advancements or revolutions in transportation. Like you have bikes and bike technology changes and gets better and meets specific demands. Right. And cars are obviously its own thing too, but from a recreational vehicle or uh, transportation type method, you don't really see a lot of changes to it. Like the Segway was pretty much the last one that people tried and that obviously never got anywhere outside of resorts and tourist spots renting out them for for tours. Um, I guess scooters were big back when we were kids right and i think i actually saw a couple of kids using scooters the other day it was brought back memories oh. um but yeah i don't know it'll, it'll be interesting to see if this type of stuff starts becoming more widespread with with different types of vehicles or transportation methods right um like would you guys if this type of thing came along as like a alternative to cycling would you use that type of vehicle so i'm watching the video right now and i encourage everyone who's listening to go and watch this video because my first thing is i would want i feel like no matter how good the brakes are on this thing i would want better brakes (laughs) but yeah i think that's that's a safe assessment yeah so i don't know how i don't know exactly how braking works i imagine you could probably just push on the back half and it would slow down or go the other direction but uh this is it's hypnotizing watching it i it i the thing that intrigues me the most is it's a skateboard basically with one giant wheel that you can go uphill with without pushing constantly yeah but i also feel like if it were me riding it i am so bad at skateboarding (laughs) and i would probably die i would rather just have like a scooter (laughs) or something that was electric yeah. personally but I, it seems really cool i think if i if i could strap my feet in i think i'd feel, I would feel safer. less safe i think <laughs> uh, rob having strapped his feet into a bicycle and experiencing the uh the aftermath yeah <laughs> i don't like i don't like it when my feet are both attached to the same piece of something so like skiing is fine because i have two different my feet are attached to two different things uh Rollerblading is fine because my feet are attached to different things, but yeah, snowboarding I can't do. Skateboarding I am terrible at. Well, skate, snowboarding I've never tried, but based on my experience skateboarding, I'd be terrible at <laughs> snowboarding. 
but I like I like this thing. I, I it might not be for me, but I would certainly love to try it. Nick, I think you could pull this off. Yeah, I, I have no dangers of falling down ever. I'm pretty much <laughs> the most balanced guy out there. So, <laughs> yeah, like I, I would just have no issues whatsoever. <laughs> You're basically. But an no, you, you asked if I would choose this over like a bike, and a part yeah. of the reason I I like using a bike is that it's active transport as opposed to passive transport. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I it doesn't really fit why i cycle then right it's neat but i don't think it's for me Hmm. all right well uh i I encourage you to go and check out the video we'll have a link in the description it's called ride one wheel.com yeah it's called the yeah one wheel i think it was called yeah but uh yeah go check it out because that's cool It, it, it was a kickstarter and now it's funded right Although this, I imagine this would be much easier to use than a unicycle. I would think so. I would agree. Unless the, the unicycle had a gyroscope in it as well, or stabilization of some kind, which is a thing. Yeah. That would need a lot more yeah. high torque motor. It would need more because be yeah, you're yeah. more off balance, but or the balance point is higher up. Well, yeah, your center of yeah. mass is a lot higher up. Yeah. Um, so... I read this this next story earlier this week, and it just seemed really strange to me. So I just wanted to, we don't have to really talk about the science behind it necessarily, but the uh, story I have here is a scientific story about how they, people or scientists flew a research plane through a thunderstorm in 2009, and they've just published this research. So they, they flew through a thunderstorm, and suddenly their their detectors started going crazy they were detecting uh i guess photons that they've ruled could really only come from antimatter annihilations and so they're positing that somehow in this electrical storm either through the the lightning itself or through some kind of weird localized event that there were positrons formed that were annihilating with uh, regular matter around. Oh, yeah, that's totally in the right range. This was part of our uh, CEDO course, and you get pair production from a gamma ray at, uh, uh, what is it? It's half a mega electron volt that you start experiencing pair production. Mm-hmm. And their their spikes were 511 kilo electron volts, so half a mega electron right yeah no those are totally uh that can totally be attributed to pair annihilation yeah it's it's really weird but uh apparently the the goal now they're they're saying apparently because it happened in 2009 it seems like they spent six years trying to explain reproduce this data and like rule out any sort of normal event physics event that we already know about and they're just like, yeah, we, we're, we're publishing this, but we have no idea what's going on. And we, th- I think, it, I think at the end it says they're trying to get more research money now, uh, so that they can look at thunderstorms more comprehensively, so they can figure out if this is a thunderstorm thing or if this is just a some places on Earth kind of thing. If there's some localized uh, 
environment that makes it possible for antimatter to form. I, th- I assume they want to actually also assure themselves that antimatter is actually forming because that seems like a pretty, as far as we know, there's not a lot of places where antimatter can form or be sustainable in the universe. One of the places is like on the event horizon of a black hole where an, a, a, like a particle and an antiparticle pop into existence and one of them goes into the black hole, one of them comes out. You can get matter seeming to seemingly spontaneously there and you sometimes get antimatter. But as far as like somewhere on Earth where it's produced naturally, we haven't really observed that. And so this is... So, well, you get antimatter and matter half the time, respectively. Do you, though? With Hawking Oh, radiation? yeah. Wait, sorry, yeah. Black holes, yeah, you do. But the, the yeah. matter itself, the matter isn't of note. It's the antimatter that that is weird. Well, yeah, you do get both in equal amounts. So the main thing here is the fact that it's happening in nature, the, right? Because yeah. in, in like the LHC, it can produce antimatter on demand, essentially, right? right? They use these super high energy photon collisions or other or other yeah. atomic collisions. But yeah, as far as we know, they've, yeah. they haven't seen it just through a natural yeah. lower energy process. I mean, obviously, lightning is still pretty high energy, but it's not it's nowhere near the energy density of a nuclear uh, collider. But in hindsight, if there's ever a place to find it, I guess a thunderstorm yeah. would probably be your best candidate. Well, I would say like cosmic rays or solar flares or something like that would be a better bet. But Solar flares too, I think, but yeah. It's not really I mean, on Earth. I guess if we're talking about terrestrial specific yeah. events, the thunderstorm's probably your best bet. Yeah. Yeah. Still though, like, I wonder if this is, no, it's probably not, but it'd be... It'd be funny if this was like what happened at the LHC when they were like, hey, we're detecting faster than light travel. Can someone like please figure out what's wrong with this? Because we're (laughs) at a loss. (laughs) And it turned out that they had like a plug that wasn't fully plugged in or something like that or it was dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. When I was I read this article this morning and the one part that kind of had me laugh on the inside was when he said the two pilots, they were trying to find the coast of Georgia, but, and it looked like it on the radar, but it was a line of thunderstorms that they flew straight into. Sounds terrifying. And I was like, man, <laughs> where do, where do those pilots get their license when they confuse a line of thunderstorms with the coast? Well, if it looks similar <laughs> to what you're expecting to see, I could, I could see that. I was going to say, if you're looking at an abstract data display, it's like, yep, that's a signal goes along where I think the coast should be. Yep, that's definitely it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the the article that I read from my RSS feeds says that, or at least in my interpretation, it said that we haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen antimatter on Earth produced through natural events, but the actual blurb, the press release from Nature, which is where it was published, says that we do we are actually aware of some places in really powerful storms do produce positrons but that it's not through the same process as this they've ruled out the normal positron emission from really really powerful storms which kind of makes this even more mysterious just like sometimes you do get the the rare positron i assume that's formed but in this case there were a lot like it was a spike that 
you wouldn't attribute to normal thunderstorm, like the rare event where thunderstorms create like one or two atoms of of antimatter. Mm. Have you guys seen the movie Twister? Yes. So uh, the really? one part of the I was going to say, like, I'm pretty sure we all have several times. <laughs> The one part of the movie that I remember, I've watched it a long time ago, but the one where they, they're throwing those silver balls into the tornado yeah. to like actually measure the velocities and stuff. Do they have a similar thing for thunderstorms that you could just chuck a bunch of sensors into there to do the data collection for you? I, I wonder. Because it seems like that would be the most practical way to take those measurements. Yeah. I wonder if that, I assume, when I watched the movie, I assumed that was the thing that they actually did. But now that I'm thinking about them, maybe they don't do that in 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 uh, tornadoes. Well, what do the silver balls do? No, no, but I mean that's a movie. I don't know oh, if they actually do I that. Right. What, when yeah, I watched I it know. when it first came out, I was like, what, ten, twelve? Yeah. I'm just like, oh yeah, that's cool. They obviously do that because why else would it be in this? Yep, movie? that's plausible. Those are sensors, <laughs> and that's a tornado. It, it checks out. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like if yeah. they didn't at the time they do now or they should <laughs> yeah but yeah it, i imagine that would just make a god-awful mess when the twister actually like lifts yeah though. yeah <laughs> and you'd have data from all of them so you'd have to go and like pick them up <laughs> yeah hopefully there'd be some way to remotely get the data like have it have it send its data back so you don't have to collect yeah. them although that seems even almost even crazier from a scientific perspective of having it relay all that information while in a tornado or after they all have a uh, GPS and Wi-Fi connectivity yeah. <laughs> at that point, just make sure the router goes up. Yeah. With them. <laughs> at that point, just make miniature drones that would be able to, once the tornado is over, yeah, fly back somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe that's the future of, uh, of scientific research in like sort of large scale is having unmanned little yeah. things that go and collect data and come back. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Forging forward. Get Elon science. Musk on it. <laughs> he can do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I have another story here that is that the next? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, so what I wanted to talk about is a thing. This is almost another one of those. Every week we seem to have a PSA. <laughs> and so I wanted to talk about uh, zipper merging, which is so when a lane is closed for this, the most notable example is when you're driving on the highway and two lanes merge down to one because of construction, because there's so, so much construction in Ottawa every summer. Um, Generally, what what you have happen is everyone tries to merge into the one main lane that's going to continue right away, which is frustrating for everyone. And you end up getting people who drive right to the front, right at the end of the lane and try to merge in at the last second, and everyone gets frustrated with them. Um, and so I've heard recently, and, and the reason that I bring it up this week is because there was an article in the Ottawa Citizen, our newspaper here, about it basically advocating for switching to zipper merging all the time. Basically what zipper merging is when you have two lanes going down to one cars alternate from each, from either lane going in. And uh, it kind of ties back into the self-driving car thing of 
doing the thing that's most efficient. And when you have a protocol set up, like at a four-way stop, everybody knows who is supposed to do what thing next. Like it's the person that gets there. If two people get there at the same time, it's the person on the right that goes first. If you had is uh, a lane closure and every driver knew it was common knowledge that you zipper merge and you get to it. So you do one car in, from one lane and the other and the other and the other. It clears up traffic jams so much faster than arbitrary and like everyone kind of trying to nudge their way into the other lane or trying to take as long as possible. Like it fills two lanes of traffic completely with cars until the point where there's only one. And then it's very easy to decide who's next because it's just the car in the other lane goes before you or like you go, it either goes right before you or right after you. There's no ambiguousness and there's a disincentive to be a jerk about it and to cut your, your uh, ahead in line. Every like there are people at four way stops who are scoff laws, I guess I would call them who break the rules and just go whenever they want. And there are always going to be people like that on the road. But if you have a system set up where everybody knows that you alternate, then there's no rudeness in staying in, in the other lane. There's no trying to figure out when should I merge? When shouldn't I, if there's a sign up at the merge point where it just says like zipper merge, then you'd know and you could just alternate and it's it, they've done research to show that it's way more efficient it could basically kill traffic jams caused by traffic reductions it might not be able to completely eliminate backups but you wouldn't get this thing where that choke point is just a standstill and then everything after it is completely empty you would basically only reduce the traffic by half as opposed to reducing it almost completely at that 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 bottleneck i don't know do you guys have any thoughts on zipper merging have you heard about it before um well like you can see examples of it every day in sandy hill like there's a spot near where i used to live where two lanes merge into one and it's not a thing where everyone just shuffles over to the left lane as soon as possible that like i remember coming up to it for the first time ever and going uh how is this supposed to work and they just zipper merged through into the leftmost lane which was the through lane yeah. and it was really neat i thought it was great i'd like to see data on this though because are you not functionally zipper merging just over a longer period of time anyway you i mean you can but most people generally feel like if they're in the left lane the lane that's going through that they have priority and like they're doing a favor to the people in the other lane by letting them in. And so the, the default stance is don't let them in at all because they were waiting until the last second in order to merge. Oh, yeah. Well, like if you see it coming, you shuffle over. Like he, in the article, he mentions that signage would absolutely be key to yeah. this because, you know, I, I don't know. Anytime something changes, people just freak out. I assume that would happen. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, worth trying, but I'm not sure it's going to work quite as he thinks it will. Right. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. There's, now that I'm thinking about it, there's an intersection or a kind of bottleneck point on Memorial Drive and 10th Street. So during rush hour, there's a lane reversal 
and then it says during lane reversals alternate right of way because the one lane stops being one way and becomes the other way like right it's hard to explain without looking at it but the the sign just says alternate right of way which is essentially zipper yeah. merging and i guess they already do that there i've never actually been in that position where i'm doing it or seen it done but i guess they have it set up there to function that way um i think like you're talking about signage they already have signage right now where it says lane close ahead or they'll have little blinkers with barriers kind of encouraging people to move out of that lane so you have it's pretty hard to miss the indicators that are wanting you to switch over lanes and i don't think signage talking about zipper merging is gonna make it any better because people already kind of ignore signage yeah like you i don't know it's you'd have to start putting it into like the uh driver's ed courses right. and then people who've already taken it you just kind of say well they don't know and then the people coming up might start recognizing what you're supposed well, to do and I mean, the the only thing this really truly accomplishes is it eliminates the possibility of that jerk just rushing up to the yeah. front of the line. Right. Because you just have two full lanes of traffic and you'd alternate. Yeah. Like that's, that's, only, that's really the only thing that I can conclusively see it eliminate. But it would, it would yeah. eliminate the uncertainty. Like <clears throat> normally what you have is you have a pileup of traffic right before this choke point. And then afterwards, you have like cars trickling through really slowly. Yeah, because the the hard part is getting people in in single file line when you have some people coming up to the front but not able to get in. So there's like questioning. There's like, oh, should I go? Or are you not going to let me in? Or and so zipper merging. If it was the the rule and not the exception, would be all the two lanes are full. There's no question about who's next because you know that you're after the car that isn't in the lane beside you that just went. The only yeah. problem is that the people in like the the lane that's not closed, they're always going to feel that they're in the main lane and they have the right. right but of way. so the like, the incentive w- or the thing would be saying that you're wrong because if everyone is in, if you're in two lanes, then there is no priority lane. You you just happen to be in the lane that's closing, but it's equitable in that. There, there are two lanes. You're not. Neither lane is prioritized. You're just alternating between which lane you're actually in. Well, I mean, another problem with priority lanes currently is people don't really. I, you're supposed to, but people, a lot of people, don't use the turn signal as a message of intention. Right. They use it as like. Uh, signaling that you're about to do it like i'm already doing it (laughs) yeah like a lot of people use it it's like this is imminent now like i am actually turning left Mm -hmm. please get the hell out of my way but i I don't know a lot of times whenever i've needed to merge in nicely you just leave your blinker on and eventually someone will be like oh this person is trying not to be a jerk i will let him in yeah this reminds me of those articles they write about filling airplanes yeah and how we're doing it wrong right now there's so much better there's a better way to do it but it all comes down to well people are going to be people and it's really hard to follow something that's unnatural and systematic and but i don't think it is unnatural i think we've been programmed a different way 
But like four-way stops aren't natural. Exactly. That's the whole point. We shouldn't have them. They are an affront to God <laughs> and moral decency itself. I completely agree, Rob. Four-way stops are not natural, and I don't... But they are them. what you do, and everyone knows what to do when they approach them. Unless but they don't bicycle. do them. They do. Because then everyone just loses their minds. Most four-way stops are fine. Like, 99.99% of the time, they're fine. And if they're slightly not fine, like, you're annoyed for a second, but it's not a big deal. It, like, it's normally... It's not... It's not normally a case of someone, some jerk blowing through the four-way stop or like coming up to it and just immediately going whether it's their turn or not. More often than not, the the problem at a four-way stop is that two people are being, especially in Canada, maybe it's not that way elsewhere in the world, but like people are like, oh, no, you go. I know it's supposed to be my turn, but I'll let you go. And it's like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> no, but that's, that's the, the point. If, if you have the roundabout with yields, then you get rid of that issue altogether no, I, and people just keep I know, going. I know, I know. And that's that's absolutely the problem with being on a bike because you get to the front of the line and people are like, oh, you go ahead. You're on a bicycle. And it's like, oh, yeah, I went to actual effort to stop so yeah. that I'd get to the stop point. <laughs> yeah. And then you could have gone and then I could have started up again and it would have been really fluid. Yeah. It's really annoying. But no, to start you were like nice. That. And now everyone is being held. up. Yeah. Unless, of course, you like try and just sidle up to the person in front and then go along with yeah them. i've done that i've done both of those neither is perfect but I, i've i've done both of them too and one way is definitely faster but yeah i try and be courteous yeah. and then people just try and out courteous yeah. me and it's like <laughs> canadian problems yo I, I don't know what it is. You ever gotten to a Tim Hortons and then you're leaving, but they have like the little breezeway thing, I guess. Yes. Oh yeah. And you, try to hold the door you open, open for the door for them and they open the door for you. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, it's a Canadian yeah. standoff. Is it? It's a nice off. Is it? Oh, I'll show you. And then you awkwardly try to keep the one door open yeah. while reaching for the next one. Yeah. And then they're doing the same thing. And you're like, Oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you think you're nice. Do you? <laughs> I got nothing to do today. Wait, why am I Irish all this yeah. anyway? I don't. I don't know what the thing yeah. is about biking, but when you when you're slowing down, coming up to an intersection, and the person, the driver, like waves you through. I don't know why it's so annoying, but having to stop stopping and start starting is just so hard. And you're like, I'm keeping you waiting because I can't get up to speed. <laughs> yeah, it's like you. You slow down and you're starting up again. You're like, this is not optimal. Yeah. <laughs> this is not optimal for any of the involved parties. Uh, yeah, no, it's, and that's, uh, yeah. Agreed. I'm going to write a blog post on the Idaho stop law. I think. Oh yeah. Or, I think it's I the Idaho already, stop. Didn't you already write about that? Or maybe you shared a post on it before. I, I saw someone yeah, share. A post I, I on can it. see sharing a post, but I don't think I've yeah. written on it. No. All right, uh, but it's absolutely the best way yeah. to do it. All right, Nick, you want to uh, close us out for the week with I, I I don't know why, but you want to talk about high end blenders. Are blenders not technology? No, they are. Rob? I just I don't I don't know what it is yet. I haven't looked into it. So go ahead. I, I'm excited, but I just don't know. It just says high end blenders. So hot right now. The, <laughs> the, the title basically says it all, really. Uh, the title of the CBC article is 
High-end blenders are the latest it kitchen gadget. Okay. Honestly, like, that's about it. <laughs> it's just... I, I really wanted to get your guys' take on it. Have you ever seen the Will It Blend videos on YouTube? Of course. Of course. Yeah, because like, everyone has, obviously. <laughs> but, like... You know the blenders you see at like Booster Juice and stuff like that that do a really, really, really good job and stuff? It like apparently these are the latest thing that people are spending a ton of money on. Like sales are through the roof. Hmm. Like they can cost almost a thousand dollars and they have they have motors that are more powerful than a lawnmower. (laughs) And like Yeah. This is where our tech spending is going. Yeah. Like you can you can work you can work really hard on making a new microchip and you know making making computers slightly faster. You can put effort into minimizing all your hardware and making more space for a battery and a smartphone, but ultimately people are spending money on blenders. They're also spending money on iPhones. You got to be They really are. On that. And then they're blending them in their high-end blenders. <laughs> <laughs> or what well, least one guy is in those videos. But Yeah. Yeah. I so when we first when we got married, Ray and I, we needed a blender. And we were kind of looking into it and yeah, we we saw that you could spend, you know, upwards of five, six, seven hundred dollars on a blender. Mm-hmm. But then there's this kind of tier of blenders that's like they're almost as good as the good ones but they're substantially cheaper right uh like the one that we got was called like a ninja blender it's it's similar to the vitamix and the vit so there's like vitamix blendtec and i think one other one blendtec's the willa blend one okay and then vitamix is kind of at that same level to get into like the commercial like Jugo Juice type, that's I think that's even its own tier of like commercial grade lawnmower powered blenders. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Ninja ones are like I think 150 or something. Like they're not cheap, but if you want like a good blender that will last you, that will actually blend your stuff and not leave chunks in it, then that's kind of what you want to go. Now, Nick, you've talked about hand blenders before, and you've have I ever? Y- you have. You've pined the praises of it to us um, sure have i well i feel like most times if you need something more than a hand blender a food processor will probably do the job yeah i digress yeah, yeah. so the hand blenders we, we saw some at the stampede at that little marketplace thing and it was like really cool it did a lot it ground nuts it blended smoothies soups did everything you ever wanted it to but the person didn't disclose the price till her spiel was done and it ended up being like $400 or something oh, okay. like that. And I was like, oh. My word. Yeah. We spent but, significantly less on ours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you can spend a lot on it. And it's, I think it just goes into that, you know, you have money to spend. So I guess this fills that gap of luxury kitchen gadgets. Right. Well, I mean... Uh... <laughs> now, Hold Bob, you're, you're a pitcher I... blender person, right? Yes. Yeah. I really am. I mean, I suppose when you're on the high seas for a long time, 
The salt cod can get pretty tough. It can. And if you really want to make a good cup of, like, drinkable chowder, you need to blend it down. And not just any blender will blend through that toughened salt cod. (laughs) So what what I've done now, we used to have, or we originally had bought a blender, like a pitcher blender that the... uh, like it's a regular, it's a pitcher, but it's got a, the blender blades on the bottom and you stick it on the base and you blend it. And I, I yep. like that more than the immersion blender, but it's not, it's harder to clean and it's harder to get the stuff out. Um, what we are using now is one of those magic bullet type ones where you screw the blades onto the bottom and then you basically yep. already have a, it, the stuff in a cup when it's done. And I like that yep. a lot more. They're extremely limited capacity. I, yeah, I'm imagining a, like this is basically single serving, although it's a pretty big serving. But I wouldn't, you wouldn't use it to make something for a party or something. Um, those ones do come with a pitcher, though, right? Or they do often they do like a pitcher Rich. attachment? I don't think so. The one we what did you? have, we used to have a magic bullet, and it it had a pitcher attachment. A pitcher where you like screw the. How big was that pitcher? You screw the yeah. blades on the bottom. Huh. Yeah. This one this one doesn't have that. I think it's called neutral okay. bullet or something. Okay. Like the one we have now actually does the same. It's a screw on to the bottom, so the main pitcher has its own thing, but then it has another attachment that you can use for the little cups, the right. single well, serving cups. There are actually a lot of them that do detach. You just almost never detach them, but for cleaning purposes you have to. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So um Nick, what's your final thought on these high-end blenders? Is it a? F- I'm a little baffled. Is it a fad? I I don't know. I I I assume so. If you could upgrade, but had to give up something, I don't know what. I I always I always feel like we have these conversations, and it's like, well, if I had the money, I would buy that. And it's like, well, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? So I want to ask like a, a question that actually seems relevant. I don't know that I would buy this if I had the money, though. Okay. Like, because what I really want is a food processor. Because just the, with a food processor, you actually have like uh, parallel walls. Right. And so if you're working with thicker things, like hummus is usually my concern because I make a lot of it. (laughs) Like, you need to be able to scrape down the sides and get them closer to the right. blades. And that's just going to be more difficult with a blender. Yeah. Where a much cheaper food processor, I mean, to get higher capacity ones, you have to spend more, but it's a fraction of the high end cost. Right. So it, I just feel like you end up with a more versatile piece of equipment. And if you want to make a smoothie, you just toss the smoothie ingredients in there and it will do the same thing. Just, doesn't have a spout at the end makes sense so like worst case scenario use a funnel right i'm seeing here in this article that there are blenders that have touch screens and i'm realizing now that i must have that why would you not have a blender that has a touch screen on it why would you have a blender with a touch screen how many options do you need like do you need in a blender I agree with you, but also it seems inherently fun to play with. Well, maybe, Rob. Maybe. 
you can get like you we just wait a few months years whatever apple will go hey there's clearly a market here for a premium product which we are all about <laughs> and you get a blender with an ipad dock yep i get that or like I, you know docking technology i'm more thinking maybe if you had a bluetooth uh enabled blender that would be useful oh connect to it oh, and then yeah. the, i wonder if you could run uh, ubuntu on i bet you could Ubuntu Blender or Windows 10. You know what they're trying to get people to buy now? It's the scale that you use to mix drinks on, like to measure out your drinks, and you put in a recipe, and then it gives you a step-by-step directions, and you pour, and then it tells you when you've put enough in based on its weight. That seems insane. It seems very unnecessary, too. It's like, that's what shot glasses were made for. like... I was going to say, I'm all about, like, I'm all about, uh, you know, uh, gravimetric measuring with a digital scale, because those are great, but... For food, it doesn't seem necessary. It's very expensive, too. Apparently for baking, it's really important. Baking, I've heard, yeah. Baking, I've heard, it's better to use Hmm. the mass-based measurement. The scales are, like, 10, 20 bucks. Right, well, that's it. But this thing is being sold for hundreds of dollars. This Man, can you tool. can you imagine in like chem labs if the balance just told you when you'd put enough down, <laughs> and then like there would be a gust of wind or a breeze or something around you, or someone leaned on the counter, and it would be like, no, no, that's way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like baking is such an imprecise science that a bl- uh, while it would be helpful to measure your whatever flour for cookies a there's conversions being done from imperial to metric in a lot of cases depending on where the recipe is coming from uh it doesn't say whether you measure it by volume or by mass i just feel like there's a lot of variables in baking and so unless you're using a recipe that you've developed yourself and optimized in your units of measurement i feel like there's a lot of give and take well no like the the issue is how much baking do you do, Rob? Enough. <laughs> okay. How much baking do you need to do for this conversation? I I just I having baked as much as I do, I do not know where you're coming from at all. Yeah. That's baking the issue. is very baking's quite precise no, you, actually. Yeah, like especially with bread and stuff like that, if you if you are off by not very much, you just end up with something completely different. But I mean, all the measurements are rounded. And they're even like, like measurements what? are rounded to the, the nearest quarter cup. Well, not if you do it by weight, which is why a lot of people are going but, that way. Because part of part of the problem is like when you're talking about flour and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Have you ever seen how you're supposed yeah, to? Yeah measure a cup of flour to ensure reproducibility okay which is just like a needless level of abstraction as far as i'm concerned i agree but i don't see any maybe it's maybe it's the menus i'm or the not the menus the recipes i'm looking at but they don't have a number of grams of flour you're supposed to put in they say like one cup oh a lot of the more modern ones now they're going gravimetrically because like packing factors for grains of flour and temperature variations yeah. and stuff like that. Like it's all just 
you could easily fix this by just putting it on a scale. Okay. Yeah. I guess I don't use a lot of modern recipes. There's also a lot of like rather than saying, okay, so you're going to get to kind of this consistency where if you pick it up with a spoon, it like behaves this exact way. Mm-hmm. And if it's too tacky or too runny, you just like add little bits until it starts to come together. Instead of saying right. that, you could just go or add exactly this much of everything and it'll yeah. come out. No, I get that. And that's, that's good. Good and fine. All right. Uh, are we done? Uh, are you guys happy with this? Nick, do you have to go anywhere shortly? <laughs> There's one more thing I want to talk about, but I feel like it's after show material. But it's it's not on the agenda, Rob. It is on the agenda. It's just not numbered. Well, then... The but, agenda is not law. We, we Rob, you made this show. system. The agenda is not law. I can number it if you want. Should... should should we discuss on the after show like this monstrosity yeah. of <laughs> Let's a do it, it's great. system that you came up with? Uh, I'm happy to explain it in the after show. All right. Uh, so thank you guys for listening to this episode of Future Chat. We've enjoyed having you. Uh, I'd especially like to thank audible.com once more for helping to support the podcast. Uh, if you want to help support the podcast, uh, you can visit audibletrial.com slash unwind right now. Literally, go right now. There's a link in the notes for the show. Uh, and you can start a free 30-day trial and get a free audiobook from Audible. And we'll be, we, I always screw this up. I'm going to start this real <laughs> slow. Way to go, Rob. We, you know why? It's because I spelled it wrong in the notes. Uh, we will be back next week with more Science and Tech Talk, as we are every week. And what I'm going to ask you to do this week is go to Twitter... We are uh, on Twitter at underscore future chat FM. Go leave us a tweet. What was your favorite story of the week? And if you didn't have a favorite story, I guess don't tweet because otherwise, how are we going to know? Or tell us what you'd like yeah. to hear about next time. That, that's a good point. Or what you would like to hear about this yeah. week. Even. Uh, we're going to be slowly making a transition in the next few weeks to uh, unwindmedia.com. But for the time being, you can find past episodes of this show and more at futurechat.me on the web. See you guys next time. Ciao. Okay. Uh, Do you guys want to talk about my story first or do you want to talk about the document first? What's what's your story? (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to... Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about the Best Buy thing. Why wasn't that on the list? I literally just put it on the list because I didn't want to talk about it in the real show because I don't think it matters, but I just wanted to... I was well, excited. We're to talking talk about, about it right one. now. <laughs> what do you want to say? This is still this is all going in the show. <laughs> yes. I thought this was the after show. This is all gonna be on the tape. I didn't think we used tape. Uh so Mike, what did you want to say about the Best Buy Marketplace? <laughs> well, you're the you're the lead on this, so I'll let you I start. Change the lead. Um so oh, go ahead. Best Buy started a they're calling it best buy marketplace but it's basically an online store like similar to amazon where you can actually go and sell your goods i don't know i didn't actually look into it far enough to see if it was something like it needed to be something that best buy would sell or if you can just sell anything um do you want me to explain it because i actually yeah looked i want into you this. to explain it because i i i don't care enough but i just think it's interesting <laughs>
So Best Buy is offering their online distribution system, I guess you could call it. It's not even a distribution system. It's more market access, Mm. we'll call it. Best Buy's market access, they're offering to whoever would like to list relevant items, like tech items, I guess, on their marketplace. And Best Buy essentially acts as a middleman for current customers of Best Buy to see these products. But any sort of transaction and delivery of these products are independent of Best Buy. So Best Buy is solely offering their essentially ad space or forum to advertise and interact with customers for these merchants. But any sort of transaction and delivery of the items is outside of Best Buy. So it's 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 like the eBay of it's a it's an eBay equivalent, but without eBay being or without Best Buy being a transaction right. medium. Uh, they're saying that they're in the future they'll offer their locations, their retail locations to have returns done through them. But at this point, any sort of delivery and return process is done separate from Best Buy. So they're solely setting up a marketplace advertising platform. Right. Which seems odd to me. I guess it's like a Kijiji. Right. It's more similar to a Kijiji for tech, for electronics, for retail electronics. I mean, I could see it being valuable if you want to just drive traffic to your site. Like if you want something high tech, you could say, oh, I'll, I'll see if it's on the Best Buy marketplace. Right. And then if you fail there, like maybe you'll just be like, oh, well, maybe I can just buy it from Best Buy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I I don't think they're going to be setting up products that they already carry. Like, I guess we'll have to wait and see, but it sounded like it was supposed to be for products in addition to what Best Buy already offers. Oh, okay. I thought it would be more like new and used, but well, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't think there's enough info right now to see where it's going to go, but... Hmm. It sounded very unnecessary <laughs> to me. I don't know what you. It guys. does seem unnecessary. I mean, I, I get that people said that. Uh, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here. People said that Google Plus seemed unnecessary because we already have Facebook, but it's not gonna be the same. <laughs> That's not really the same at all. No. <laughs> uh, there already are a lot of online marketplaces. Oh man, if we can go off on wild tangents, I have a traffic story for you that I think is just fascinating. <laughs> I, I, regarding like the whole like traffic's just wide open i'm just gonna launch into yeah, go it for it's it. a great story <laughs> so uh there was one day we were driving west on the 401 and pretty sure kaya was with me for whatever reason but anyway it was winter and we were traveling west for whatever reason and uh the 401 like the traffic was just brutal because like I was close enough to the front that I could see the line of snow plows. And Mike, I don't know if you've experienced anything like this. I'm not sure how they do it here because snow removal in Alberta seems to be kind of haphazard at best. But what they'll do is they'll have a line of plows. So they're staggered throughout the yep. lanes. So, you know, all the snow just gets plowed off to the side like that same thing here yep okay and they have like they were 
basically they were preemptively salting for a storm they were supposed to have later that day. Like it was just smooth sailing. But we tried to figure out using maps if there was an easy way that we could, because we were traveling at like 50 or something Mm -hmm. ridiculous. So we tried to find a way to get off on a, like an alternate side route that would then rejoin with the 401. So we could travel at like 80 for a little while, get past the snow plows and then jump back on. Right. It's a really surreal experience to see four lanes of the 401 just straight <laughs> ahead of you with just no traffic. We didn't hit traffic for another hour or something wow. like that. It was incredible. That's cool. <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. Like, especially once you got to the point where you could see literally no one in front of you and literally no one behind you. Were the traffic you. conditions bad at all? Because the plows hadn't gotten there yet? No, yeah, like it, the road conditions. No, it, it, it was completely clear. They were anticipating a storm oh, okay. that night. And that's right. why they were out salting preemptively. Oh, but they weren't plowing, though. No, but they, oh, okay. they had completely jammed up traffic because that's, that's just how they do yeah. it yeah that seems it seems like they should stagger the trucks when they're doing that so that people can get through like do it like a like a a staggered start olympic sprint that's longer than 200 meters <laughs> that stagger the start so that there are gaps and you could get between yeah well you can't do you can't get 100 percent coverage no you'd have way. one truck in each lane but they'd just be staggered yeah. Like enough to get by them. Oh. Rather than having a line of them. I don't know. I feel like you're inviting problems that way. They don't have to be staggered like with one car length in between them. You'd be staggered with like <laughs> by like 50 meters. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I yeah. see what you're saying. It just seems like rather than slowing like you you said it blocked traffic so much so that you it t- you said it took you an hour to get to find traffic again. Yeah. yeah. That seems insane. <laughs> Like because the time you'd with the time you'd stayed yeah. behind them, and if you're not outrageously speeding, the gap between those plows and anyone in front of you were, I don't know, significantly or very significant, totally right. appreciable, because they suddenly like half the expected speed li- or half the speed limit, which nobody drives that anyway, but that's a different right. story. And then, like, that gap is opening up in real time in front of them. Right. So unless you're, like, really booking it, you're not going to catch the people sure. in front of you. All right. That's fair. Good story, Nick. Thanks. I liked it a lot. <laughs> what were we talking about? I guess Best Buy Marketplace. Best Buy Marketplace. So, Rob, what are your I thoughts on I think it's fine. This? I think they can do whatever they want, but I feel like it's one of those products. Like, I get the feeling just reading about it and hearing about it that it's going to be one of those things that launches, gets a tiny bit of traction from a few people. People will, like, stumble across it, and then within eight months or so, it'll just they'll just stop it because it wasn't yeah. anything. The, the one thing I think could be valuable is when I'm going on Best Buy or when I'm looking for a piece of of technology, I'll go on Best Buy and see if they have it and what types of, like say Bluetooth speakers. I'll go on Best Buy. If within their listings, they show the marketplace listings as well, then I could see it might be valuable because 
you're getting more variety mm-hmm. of products, I guess. So my question at that point, does but, Best Buy get a cut of any of the sales? Yeah. Oh, uh, how would they do that if they're not? They said, or do they get like? Does it cost money to list it on the marketplace? I don't know. It said that their their listing is competitive with with other marketplace okay. services. So it's not like Kijiji in that. No. Okay. That that seems slightly more plausible, but I I feel like people would like it even less with the fact that Kijiji is a thing already that's free. Yeah, like I think the bar, like you still purchase. I don't know how that would work. Yeah, I think there's two little details, but I think there is still some way for Best Buy to have record of who's buying right. through the marketplace so they can still invoice it, those merchants. It almost seems like a mix between Kijiji or Craigslist and eBay. But yeah. it's the worst half of both. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how it could be successful that way. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it will be. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems not good. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, for those who are interested, we talked about the flex delivery service before. So I'm actually expecting a flex delivery at some point next nice. week. I, I really excited. wanted to order yeah. something, but I haven't yet. I'm, I'm getting some washers shipped from my barbecue <laughs> provider because it was missing within the package. So they're like, oh, we'll ship it to you. Perfect. I was like, hmm, <laughs> this couldn't have come yep. off at any better timing. Uh, okay, so people who are still listening after this long, if you don't <laughs> care at all about Google Drive or uh, aren't interested in all in, in all in how we view our topics and figure out what we're going to talk about, feel free to turn this off and tune in again next week. Um, I have a feeling, though, that there are only diehard listeners left. And so, soldier <laughs> on, here we go into the void <laughs> what do you, what do you guys want to what are your criticisms of this week's topic sheet? I really like it now. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. So, for our listeners, you know, the ones that aren't us and don't actually see this every week. There's a column for the story, the title. There's a column for the details, there's a column for the link. Column for the lead on the, the story. person that put it in. Person that put it in. Sure. And then we hit the contentious <clears throat> bit. We have the importance to lead from one to ten. <laughs> yep. And that's been the issue thus far. It has. <laughs> because it's not a ranking of how important they are to you, like yep. in order. It's an absolute ranking of importance where Three or one to three, you absolutely want to talk about this week, and four to ten, I guess like four to seven is kind of we'll get to it next week, maybe, but if not, it doesn't matter. And then seven to ten is absolute fluff or something like that, though I've never seen someone rank ten. I haven't hit ten so far. We don't even have the spectrum broken down in that way, though. Not in yeah, we need like. All those charts of the electromagnetic spectrum I've seen, we should have like a chart from one to ten. So like well given given our leads here, like if a major 
like Microsoft or Google or Apple has a keynote speech of any kind, that's just going to be a one yeah. right there. <laughs> or Linux. Right. If, if Ubuntu and had a press release or a keynote, they would also get a number one. Canonical. If Canonical had a Same keynote. Same thing. Which they <laughs> no. never do because they don't have that much money. But And then, like, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like the real interesting things worth getting into are from about two to four often or that's where we have right. our, good yeah. conversations. our good conversations. Yeah. And then below that, we just don't get to them <laughs> apparently because there's here's, always going to be something more important than those. Here's my issue because right now with the way the rubric is set up, there's no way to directly compare my three with Rob's right. three. Cause that doesn't mean anything right now. Yeah. It's completely subjective. Like also, I think what we, I, I I also like to point out that we had a perfectly good ranking uh, last week, in which Mike used very well defined irrational numbers. Yep. Yeah. Such as pi phi. One rational number, but and Graham's number pi phi e. No, Graham's number is rational. By the way. Oh, okay. I thought. Yeah. Okay, so well defined yeah. yeah. physical constants. Yeah. And I admit I went a little off because I started using complex numbers, <laughs> but I feel the magnitude was easily yeah, comparable. Yeah. Not fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I two I three I maybe I should have like added something so that it would be, but it's, it's on the yeah, it complex number scale. Yep. It has a radius. Yeah. In the plane. So mm. for me, this number from one to 10 is really just we've talked about. We've, we've loosely defined within the number one to 10, one to three means you want to talk about it. And one is going to get talked about in the first third of the show. Two is going to get talked about in the second part. And three is going to get talked about in the third part. That's somewhat wishy-washy with the way it's going to work. If there's not enough things in the one to three, then that's when we start getting into the four to like the Best Buy one was not a three for me. I put Best Buy as a six, but I know that I knew that we maybe wanted to mention it. And so I threw it in there at the end, but it's sort of like, if it's above three, I don't care about it. And then I have another column that was not even mentioned in the columns discussion that wherein I can put in what order they're actually going to be discussed in. And at that point, it's open to interpretation. If someone thinks that the order should be changed, we can just change the order. All of this is just to determine where stories are going to go. But I think the other issue at play here is that you take that already subjective ranking, and then Rob just ranks it anyway, or like <laughs> ranks it you again told me in to order do that. of what he thinks makes sense. The first ranking helps with that yeah definitive ranking which i agree with that's you good. told me to have ultimate power i think you yeah. you expressly gave that to me both of you yeah yeah no i agree and i don't i don't take that back rob you should have the way you should have the potential to segue the way you want to right. structure it have a flow because you're the visionary of that, the show but i it's fine to have it i'll take that i'll take the reins of i know i'm not I, being I sarcastic I when i say that I either tell. nick Dick thinks I am. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I also, I, I don't disagree with right. that system. I just think it's all needlessly subjective. It, but there's no objective way to do it. 
because stories matter differently to different people I, in the group. Well, if you wanted to do it objectively that way, then what you do is you have everyone rank it objectively. Like you have three columns mm-hmm. of importance. I've thought about so importance to lead, importance to other person, importance yeah. to other person. <laughs> and then the aggregate would determine or the not the aggregate. Yeah, kind of. Well, yeah, the aggregate. Oh, wait, that's actually no, not a bad idea. Order I've thought about this. It's so it's like complicated and it's process. not worth getting into that level of granularity. First of all, programmatically, having a, a lead with one name and then having two other columns for the other two people, doesn't. it's not. It's going to be so complicated. It's going to take so, so much space. You guys are on tiny laptops. I have the benefit of a 24-inch screen and it's still hard for me to see all of it at once. I think we should try I, the aggregate score. Oh man, you guys are... Ne- that's going to be... <laughs> He's like, Apple had a keynote. Nick's ranking 10. Don't care if we get to it ever. But that's fine. Then we'll just rank all yours 10. <laughs> well, then we're just so getting into why, pettiness. This is why this system, with where the le- importance to the lead is what matters. Because the the great thing about the this, this show, for me, is that the three of us have different priorities. And that's good. Like the, the great thing is if Mike has a one, it might not be a one for me, but he is interested to talk about it at a one level. And so I want to hear what he has to say and why it's important to him. That's why I have it that way. So I can look at okay. all the stories that that's are ranked fair. one and then put them in order that I think we should talk about them. But I want that to get on the show just because someone has put it as a one or two or a three. See, I didn't notice the Best Buy was ranked right. a six. If I, because I was gonna put right. that story in myself, I saw you had it in there. If that was mine, that, I'll probably rank yeah. that at two. Because so I was that's why you either mention it. it, or there's there are also notes columns where either any of us can say like, oh, I really want to talk about this. Like I look at the notes columns and I see they're empty, so I'm like, okay, so there's no additional notes from <laughs> other people. That's fine, but like that's where that would go. Okay. Okay, yeah. that's good to know. Okay, yeah, I got a head I'm out. Gonna head out too. But uh, if if you did listen to that, and oh man, I'm probably maybe in a couple <laughs> days after this comes out, I'm actually just going to link to this timestamp, like at the start of this discussion. Be like, if you want to hear us discuss <laughs> the logistics of this, uh, go do that now. But yeah, I'm. Why in God's name would anyone, anyone who didn't just stick here? Because like I could see my mother listening yeah. to this part. Because frequently, what she'll do is she'll start. I don't know, doing outdoor work and put the, put her, uh, what is it? Oh my God. What is it? An iPod. Yes. <laughs> Apple so stuff is like, so far out of your head. I, I, I kept going like <laughs> iPhone. No, she doesn't have an iPhone. Yeah. iPad. No, it's not an iPad. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. What's the other one? Like the first one, <laughs> the most important one there was. Yeah, no, she has yeah. an iPod Touch. She puts it in her pocket, which isn't really accessible for her to screw around with. She just puts the playlist right. on the way she wants it to be. And then so I could see her listening yeah. to this part, but I can't see anyone wanting to go back and re-listen to yeah. this garbage. I, I should point out, we don't normally get a lot of live viewers, but some like we do the show either on we did it on Saturday mornings for a long time and Sunday mornings now we don't get a lot of live viewers because that's a really hard time for people to tune in live. I understand that completely. Also, we have like international viewers. It's, it's could be true. In the middle of the night for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> but as we, as I was saying, nobody's going to ever listen to this. A viewer popped up. 
somebody is, <laughs> somebody is watching this live. So thank you, viewer, whoever you are. Bless you, you <laughs> poor soul.